The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Well, good to have you here uh, this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Genesis chapter 30 as we're continuing in our series through the life of Jacob. Have you, uh, have you ever felt like your life's a little out of control? All right, I'm the only one. All right. Um, no, right? Like life seems out of control and then you turn on the news. You're like, all right, I'm not, everything seems out of control. Like it's just craziness always going on everywhere, it seems like. And the natural kind of thought kind of often leads to like, what, what, is, what is God doing in the midst of all this? Is God, is God active at work? Where, where is God seen amidst all the plans and the schemes and the manipulation that happens everywhere around us? Well, today we're gonna see a story of God at work, God being faithful through the schemes and manipulations and deceptions of mankind. As we continue in our series, we're, we're today looking at the story, the conclusion of the part of Jacob and his father-in-law, Laban. And if you've been walking through us, you remember Jacob left home, was sent away, met Laban, wanted to marry one of his daughters. The whole manipulation there had to work for two of them. Then last week, we looked at all the kids being born to them. This week, we revisit the story of Jacob and Laban. Now, if you got a worship guide, you might have noticed it's extra thick today because we have an extra long passage that we're gonna dive into. So let's jump into this passage and walk through it together. In Genesis chapter 30, starting at verse 25, says this. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children from whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will gain pasture. I will again, excuse me, pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer, me, will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons and set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. All right, so the schemes are already starting here. Jacob says, let me go. And Laban says, well, I don't want you to go because when you're here, I get a lot of stuff. I'm blessed because of you, right? And we, we've seen this throughout the story of Genesis that wherever Jacob and before him, Isaac and before him, Abraham went, the people around them were blessed. That happened with Abimelech. We see it again here. It's a promise of God to them. 
And so he doesn't want him to go. And so he's like, well, well, please stay. And Jacob's like, no, I don't want to stay. Let me go. And Laban's like, all right, well, how much, how much do you need? And Jacob's like, I don't want anything but this. And he talks about certain sheep and goats that he wants. Now, I imagine for most of us, we're kind of like, what's going on with the speckled and the spotted and the black and the like, I don't understand. The long and short of it is Jacob is asking for the very small minority of the flock. And so once in a while, there would be speckled or spotted sheep or goats. And Jacob's saying, there's just a few of these. The large majority aren't like these. So just let me have this small bunch and whichever ones after this are speckled, those are mine. The rest of them, the large majority are yours. Laban's like, this makes me money. I like this. This sounds good. And Laban, to get ahead of the plan, somehow gets news out, pulls out all the speckled and spotted ones, gives them to his sons, and they take them three days away. So Jacob starts with no speckled or spotted animals at all. Laban's like, gotcha, buddy. And so the story continues. Verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Now, this is going into kind of their tradition where it's not saying if this is actually how it works or not, but they thought that whatever an animal was looking at while it was mating produced certain types of offspring and that it was looking at spotted branches that that would produce spotted offspring. Now there's a play on words here going on as well. In the Hebrew, the word poplar, as well as the word white, which occurs three different times in these verses, white spots, white spots, sounds exactly like the name Laban. And so the animals are looking at Laban's spots while they're beating Laban out of his, own, of his own money that he's trying to manipulate the situation for. Verse 40, Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flock towards the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks down in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. This promise that God made to him that he would prosper and be blessed is coming to fulfillment. Chapter 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. After all this time, Jacob, it's time to head back towards home. Verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, that your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and has given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. 
And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob calls them out into the field. This is a play because remember, multiple times in Genesis, people overhearing conversations by the tent has spoiled a plan. Jacob's like, not this time. We're going away from the tents. No one is overhearing this conversation. And he talks about how this, this vision of God that he had given him sum, summarized in verse three is actually much longer and that it's God who's been providing. It's God who's been protecting him all along. And he says, listen, God is leading us. God is blessing us. God is taking care of us. God has called us to return home. If you remember last week, if you were here, Rachel and Leah agreeing on anything seems like a miracle at this point, but they both agree we don't like dad. If you ever wonder how, it was treat, how they felt treated by their father, they felt manipulated and used as part of his schemes as well. They're like, yep, we agree. Let, let's go. Let, let's get out of here. Verse 17. So Jacob arose and sent his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep. And Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. So they run away, not telling Laban, and a little caveat, which we'll see soon, Rachel steals his, her father's household gods. We don't know if this is because she's holding on to idol worship. We don't know if because they're valuable. The text doesn't tell us. All that simply matters is that she steals them, and we see this, but Jacob doesn't see this. Verse 22. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? That you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and song and tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, good or bad. And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So Laban pursues him. The, the kind of thought is here with, with an army. He comes ready for battle. He pursues him and he asks him these questions. Why did you leave? I would have thrown you a party. Jacob's like, yeah, right. Okay. No one's like, I would have thrown you a party. Also, I could kill you if I wanted to kill you. Like next sentence, right? Like it's clearly here, Laban's out for selfish reasons. 
right? And he's saying, the only reason I'm not harming you is because I'm scared of your God who has told me not to, but you stole my household goods, my, the household gods, excuse me, verse 31. Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. Rachel's off in the corner going, um, wait, what? In the presence of your kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And so then suddenly the action slows way down. Verse 31. So Laban went to Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt about the tent, but did not find them. And she, being Rachel, said to her father, let, let my Lord be, excuse me, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Now there's plays on words here throughout. The feeling of, of Laban feeling around the tent is the same word used for when Isaac felt the face of Jacob to figure out if this was truly Jacob or Esau. And it's kind of, you have this feeling, it's like a blind man searching for something. This is also foreshadowing to the future when one of Rachel's sons, Joseph, will use certain things, valuables, hidden in donkeys and camels while riding to manipulate a story to their advantage. If you fast forward later on in the book of Genesis or you know the story, Joseph uses this tactic as well. Of course, her excuse, it's this way of woman, that is, it is my time of the month, is exactly what she's saying there. So she doesn't get up and the household gods are saved within, right underneath her so she can't be found. Verse 36. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? See it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by a wild beast, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. For my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Whew. Have you ever held pent-up frustration at your father-in-law for 20 years? <laughs> my goodness, Jacob, let him have it, right? He's like, all right, I'm done here, Laban. Let me tell you how I really feel. You feel the frustration from Jacob towards Laban, right? And again, if it hadn't been God on my side, Laban, I would have nothing. You have been trying to hurt me all along. Verse 43. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks and all that you see is mine. Are we selfish much, Laban? But what can I do this day for those my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. Let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. 
Laban called it Jehar, that's a fun one. Jagar Sahudatha, we'll go with that. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is my witness between you and me. Laban ultimately realizes that he has no other options and it's time to make peace with Jacob. Verse 51, Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar, which I've set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. They make this covenant ceremony with one another, this promise that's, that's escalated by this pillar there, a physical reminder of the agreement they've come to. Laban, you stay on this side. Jacob will stay on this side. Finally, after all of the scheming of the 20 years of Jacob's life, he finally has this behind him as he sets his face now and starts to head home as Laban goes back to his land. I just want to pull out, it's quite a story, isn't it? Like, that's an, it's an amazing story. I just want to pull out two, two things from this passage for us this morning, two lessons that, that I just feel kind of worked their way throughout the whole story, but especially this story. The first is, is this, that as followers of God, he calls us to seek the presence of God over the blessings of God. That when we follow him, we are to seek the presence of God over the blessings of God. Laban here comes across, intentionally so, as very, very selfish. Because Laban realizes that with Jacob come the blessings of God. And you don't see Laban going, oh no, Jacob, if you leave, I'll miss you. I'll miss my daughters. I'll miss God himself. No, I'll miss my wealth that comes because God blesses me when you are around See, Laban loved the blessings of God. He didn't desire the presence of God. He didn't desire a true relationship with him. The question for us is, do we love God or do we love what God can do for us? Which do you love more? Do you love God or do you love what God can do for you? The blessings of God are abundant and many for us, but they're not the primary goal in following after Jesus. Pursuing God is the primary goal. The blessings come as a byproduct. But too often we focus on the things that we want from God rather than seeking after God himself. This was highlighted for me this week. I helped lead our young adults community group and we're going through a study in Jeremiah chapter 29. You probably know 29:11. It's the well-known passage. But two verses later, we, we studied this passage this week. And it says this in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And it was pointed out that too often we try and seek blessing. We seek prosperity. We seek hope. We seek peace. None of those things are bad. But if that's what you're seeking after, God doesn't promise that that's what you're going to get. But he says, if you seek me, you will find me. 
If your heart is pursuing after the presence of God and saying, God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to know your reality in my life. God's like, you will find me. But if you're seeking after the blessings, those don't always necessarily come in to your life. See, how do we know if we value the presence of God over the blessings of God? The reality is it's revealed to us when the blessings of God are stripped away from our lives. When the blessings of God start to be stripped away from our lives shows, do we value the presence of God or just the, the blessings in our life, right? The classic example of this is the story of Job, right? An extremely wealthy, blessed man in every way, but also a righteous man who one by one starts to lose every blessing of God in his life, his wealth, his possessions, his kids, all of it is stripped away from him. His friends come to him and be like, what have you done? He's like, I didn't do anything. He's like, no, you must have done something. God's turned against you. God's has it out for you. Even his own wife goes, you should just curse God and die. Like, that's what your life's come to. But Job refuses. He won't turn his back on God. And ultimately, at the end of the story, he's vindicated for as he experiences a profound reality of the presence of God. And it humbles him in a profound way, but he never valued the blessings of God over the presence of God. So you just wanna challenge us that so often our lives are about pursuing things from God, not pursuing God himself. And it's, it's good to bring every need of your heart to God that we should. The Bible encourages that. But God is not up in heaven just wanting to hear your laundry lists of requests that you have for today or for this week. He wants, he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants to know you. And so I just want to challenge you to take time each day to dwell and to be in the presence of God. See, the Christian life is not so much about doing things for God, but being with God and realizing how that changes everything in our lives. As we're with God at home, we're with God at work, we're with God on the commute. That's really hard for some of us, right? What does it look like to live with God in each and every one of those situations? If you don't have a practice in your life of just trying to be still and to be with God, I just wanna challenge you, take three, four, five minutes of your day this week. For me, it always is in the morning before my kids are up with a cup of coffee. And it's, I just ask a question like this. It doesn't have to be this exact one, but just sit down, just quiet yourself and say, God, what do you wanna say to me today? God, what would you have for me this morning? And just listen, maybe your Bible's open and he's prompting you to turn somewhere and to read something, but maybe you just need to still your heart and to be calm and to be present before God and just invite his presence into your life. Not coming with a list of things that you want or you need, but just simply to be with him. See, Laban wanted the blessings of God. But for us, we, we don't wanna just desire the things that God gave us. We want to truly be with him. Yes, and oftentimes the blessings come as well, but not just for the blessings. The second lesson that we see in this passage is this, is that God is faithful to provide what he has promised. God is a faithful God to provide for us what he has promised to us. And Jacob points this out all throughout. So clear, even Laban starts to get it by the end, right? That it's not Jacob's maneuvering. It's not Laban's scheming that has been the focus of the story. It's God's faithfulness is the overarching theme of this whole story. It's why Jacob has prospered. It's why Jacob is still safe. It's why all of this has happened. 
See, what did God promise Jacob right before in Bethel, where the reference is made? I am the God of Bethel. What did God promise him there in Genesis 28? He says this, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. God had provided him, kids. God had provided offspring. God is the one who had protected him. God is faithful to, what, to provide what he has promised to us. Now, why do we sometimes struggle with God's faithfulness? For me, I think one of the major reasons and challenges to to resting in God's faithfulness is this, is that God's faithfulness is not bound to our timeline. God's faithfulness is not restricted to my timeline of events. Jacob undoubtedly had to work much longer and much harder than he ever imagined when he entered into Laban's home. He never said, all right, this is going to be a 20-year thing. Right? He was tricked into seven moyers. It was six moyers. This was much longer than he had ever wanted. And I don't know about you, but it's been true in my life. When it comes to God's timeline and mine, God's timeline is very, very rarely faster than my timeline. It's almost always slower. And what happens when God moves at a slower pace than I want is I can get frustrated and I can start to think God's not holding up his end of the deal. But God's like, mm, you're, you're, you're looking too small. I see it all. And I'm not bound by your constraints of when you think I should be faithful, when you think I should work exactly as you do. I was, uh, I was blessed to be yesterday morning here at church at a memorial service that was yesterday for, for a woman who two of her children are part of our church, adult children, and some of her grandkids as well. And they're here today right now, actually. They don't know I'm gonna say this, so here we go. And uh, it, was, it was a story that I had heard before, but it was an incredible story of her kids getting up and saying how mom was an atheist for almost her whole life, but in her 70s, she placed her faith in Jesus Christ. Now, her kids probably didn't think, you know what, it's going to be decades of prayer before mom places her faith in Jesus. Undoubtedly, they were like, God, when are you going to show up? But God did, because it wasn't in their time frame, it was in his and as part of the memorial of all the videos and the, the pictures at the end of the service, one was a picture of, or a video of her being baptized in her 70s by her two adult children. There was not a dry eye in this room, right? God was faithful and God is faithful to you and to me. The reality is God is faithful, but we are far often impatient. God is faithful, but we are often impatient that he will deliver. He is faithful to his promises, Another reason why we struggle with the faithfulness of God is so often we confuse our expectations with God's promises. We confuse our expectations with God's promises. See, God is not faithful to meet your expectations of what you think he should do in your life. God is faithful to provide what he's promised to you, but so often we take our hopes, our dreams, our preferences, our desires, which many times are good things, and we place them as, all right, God has promised me this. And then we get angry at God if it doesn't work out that way when God never actually promised us those things to begin with. And too many people who follow Jesus and have a shallow faith and a shallow understanding of what God has actually promised them. 
But what happens is then those promises aren't kept because God never made them to begin with and then their faith is broken as a result. See, someone would, would go to a church or, or maybe be raised in a tradition that would say, oh, well, God's plan for you is he promises prosperity and wealth into your life. That if you're walking in obedience to God, that's what will come to you. And then you get fired from your job and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills and you have a crisis of faith because God only wanted prosperity and wealth and blessing for me. But, but he never promises that in scripture, actually. That's just what you were hoping he would do, not what he actually promised. We put good things as God things. God, God never promised you a spouse. He never promised that your kids, you would have kids or they turn out a certain way. He never promised you a career or promotions or titles. He never promised you the home that you want. He never promised you any of those things. And so often we get so frustrated with God when he doesn't meet our dreams and our expectations, but those aren't things that he's promised to us. See, as, as Americans, some of the values that we hold that we desire because of the world and the culture we live in, we think, well, this is what God will give me. But in reality, he, he, in scripture, he often tells us to expect the opposite. See, as Americans, we love comfort and convenience, right? If you make something around that, you're making money. We love comfort and convenience. We love safety and security. Those are American values, comfort, convenience, safety, security. But when you read the New Testament, it seems like God is telling us as followers of Jesus to not expect comfort or convenience, but to expect hardship and heartache. He doesn't promise us safety and security. In fact, what he promises you are troubles and trials along the way. And somehow we, we've, we've readapted God's promises and put our expectations in his place. And then we get angry at God when he doesn't fulfill the expectations that we thought he should do for us. See, we need to delineate what are my hopes, my expectations, my dreams for my life, and what has God actually promised to me? Because for some of us, we're angry at God. We're frustrated at him because of what's happened in our marriage, what's happened in our careers, what's happened financially, what's happened relationally. We're angry at God for these things. We're saying, God, you haven't been faithful to me. And he says, I, I never promised that that would work out. I never promised an end result from that. If you're about to, or already have given up on God, is it because he wasn't faithful to what he's promised or just because he wasn't faithful to your expectations? See, God has promised things to us as his children. And we need to hold on to those, not what we hope he will do, not what we want him to do, but what he's actually promised to do. So what, what has God promised to us? What promises are there for every single one of us this morning? One that is clear throughout all of scripture and made more clear in the New Testament is this, is that if you call on God for salvation, he will answer. If you seek after Jesus, you will find him. Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. Doesn't matter how bad your life has been. Doesn't matter what you've dealt with. Doesn't matter what you've gone through. God will forgive your sin when you cry out to him. When you seek him, you will find him. When you call on Jesus' name for forgiveness, he will forgive you. That's a promise you can hold on to. It's a promise that your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. God doesn't promise that you won't have hardship. He doesn't promise that your life will be easy. But what does he promise? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The valley of the shadow of death, I'm there with you. Trouble, hardship, cancer, suffering, unemployment, I'm there with you. 
He promises to be with you in the hard and the difficult of life, not to remove it from you. See, God is faithful to provide what he has promised to us. We see this in Jacob's story. Laban tried to manipulate, he tried to pull it all away. But no matter the scheming of two people, it was God over it all, who is the one who is always faithful to the things that he has promised to us. God, we thank you that you are a faithful God to us. That you are faithful to the promises that you have made. God, I pray for those of us this morning who have gone through seasons of anger and hurt and pain because you haven't met our expectations or our desires. God, may today we rest not in what we want you to do, but in what you've promised you would do for us. That is that you would give us salvation in Jesus, that you would be present with us in every circumstance of life. God, may we cling to your presence more closely today and going forward than we ever have before. We thank you for your love and for your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.